I'm Caleb Brown, host of the Cato Daily Podcast. If you appreciate Cato's research and analysis, I'd like to ask you to financially support the Cato Daily Podcast and the broad mission of the Cato Institute to advance the ideals of individual liberty, limited government, free markets, and peace. If you support our mission by becoming a new Cato Podcast sponsor or renew your sponsorship with an increased gift, one generous sponsor will be matching your gift dollar for dollar that will double your impact. Visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor and support our work. This is the only time of the year when I make this request, so I'm adding something as well. If you support Cato to the tune of $1,000 or more, I will gladly give you a shout out on the podcast, or you can designate an individual to receive all the benefits of that donation. Just visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor to get started. And thank you. This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, December 28th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. What do we know now about voters in 2020 who were not born in the United States? What does that mean for affiliation for current and future naturalized citizens? Cato's Alex Narasta looks at the data. About how many immigrant citizens are there in the United States? There are just over 20 million foreign-born citizens in the United States who immigrated to the U.S., naturalized, became citizens, and are therefore allowed to vote in U.S. presidential elections. So what do we know about those people's voting behavior? Do they do they tend to vote? Or do they tend to vote in higher numbers than native-born Americans? They're less likely to vote than native-born Americans. They, uh, however, are concentrated in, and, and more so, they are concentrated in a lot of large urban areas like Los Angeles, New York, uh, Chicago, um, in fairly solid, already solid uh, blue states. Or in the case of Texas, you know, in urban areas in Texas, um, in Florida, and other red states. So there aren't that many and too many swing states, Florida basically being one of the exceptions. How did they vote? How did this group vote? And I know that there are uh, changes that happen over years with uh, voting behaviors. Uh, How did these people vote in 2016? So we don't know yet the individual sort of data. We don't have the individual data on voting patterns for um, American uh, citizens by their immigration status. What we do have, however, are the vote totals by county in the United States. And what we can do is correlate the vote totals by county for each candidate uh, with the demographics of those counties. So we can see the relationship between the naturalized citizen population and the vote share for either uh, Donald Trump or Joe Biden in the last election. What do we know about the difference between 2016 and 2020 based on that? Well, what we know is that there was um, a shift slightly in favor of um, Donald Trump, just barely uh, amongst non citizens, but it was really to a statistically insignificant extent um, across the country. So basically what you can really with confidence say is there really was no shift toward Donald Trump or away from Donald Trump from 2016 to 2020. And that's was surprising to me because he has spent so much of his administration uh, trying to reduce legal immigration. And one of the things we know about legal immigrants and 
polling is that legal immigrants tend to like immigrants. <laughs> so what we saw was basically no shift um, uh, on the nationwide county level in places with a lot of uh, non uh, with a lot of uh, naturalized citizens. Do we know much about the the politics of immigrants? Is there anything that can be said with confidence about them? I know that you you made note in a recent blog post that uh, immigrants are very likely to consider themselves patriotic Americans. Yes, that's right. So what we know from the General Social Survey, which is the largest biennial survey in the United States, is that uh, ideologically, immigrants are about as liberal, about as conservative as native-born Americans. They don't really differ. They're also not nearly as attached to political parties as native-born Americans are, which makes a lot of sense. You know, they weren't born here. They, they didn't grow up in a household in the United States, where one political party was the, the favorite of the parents, they're much more likely to be uh, to self-identify as independent, but most of them do vote uh, Democratic. And one of the theories about why they vote Democratic uh, is because Democrats are much more pro-legal immigration as a political party than the Republican Party. And immigrant, the number one big policy difference in opinion between immigrants and native-born Americans is on the issue of immigration. So I think it's very fair to say that um, legal immigrants who are citizens tend to vote Democratic. Uh, they partly do so because of the issue of immigration. But we didn't really see that play out uh, too much in the 2016 to 2020 cycle. It basically seemed like Donald Trump bottomed out and his support from non-citizens, at least as measured on the county level in 2016, and basically did about the same in 2020 with that group. What is the exception? So the, the interesting exception here is that um, when you take a look at the counties in the United States, uh, where there were the biggest shifts and how um, uh, support from the president, the biggest increases, one of them was Miami-Dade County in Florida. That went from about you know mid 30s in terms of its percentage of uh, vote share for President Trump in 2016 uh, to uh, high 40s in 2020, and this is a county where 30 percent of the population are naturalized American citizens, that is legal immigrants who can vote. And I think what we saw right then, a lot of them are Cubans, a lot of them are Nicaraguans, a lot of them are Venezuelans, people who either themselves have fled communist or socialist dictatorships or their parents had. So this is a group that is very terrified, you know, rightly so from personal experience, oftentimes of socialism. So when they hear democratic uh, politicians, when like Bernie Sanders or AOC or others sort of uh, talk about how they like socialism, flirt with socialism, support socialist policies, I think there's a very strong argument to be made that at least in Southern Florida, especially Miami-Dade County, that um, brought out an enormous turnout of uh, naturalized American citizens to vote against the Democratic Party and to vote for Donald Trump. Yeah, some Democrats took that lesson to heart. And it's not so much whether or not Democrats were running on those issues. Uh, it was at least in part because of how Republicans were attempting to define Democrats on that stuff. That's right. There, uh, you know, Joe Biden was not running as a Democratic Socialist or a Socialist or anything like that. But there were some members of his party, such as Bernie Sanders, who ran as that um, in the primary and did well in the primary in 2020 and 2016. Uh, and then I think one of the most prominent Congresswomen 
in the or Congress persons in the uh, Democratic Party is uh, AOC, a congresswoman from New York who calls herself a socialist. So I think the most successful, at least one of the more successful political strategies by President Trump during the election was branding the Democratic Party as being socialist. And he had lots of fodder from sort of these not mainstream Democrats, but Democrats who are prominent enough so that he was successful at branding the Democratic Party as socialists, at least in the minds of not, of uh, naturalized immigrant voters in South Florida. Alex Narasta directs immigration policy studies at the Cato Institute. In this season of giving, please consider becoming a Cato podcast sponsor. Visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor and learn more. <laughs>